Technologist, thought leader, and podcaster Tom Parrish joins the Plutopia podcast as we explore developments in artificial intelligence, privacy, the Internet of Things, job security, and much more. The difference about AI, though, is there's so much Hollywood myth associated with gloom and doom and what's going to come in the end of the world and, and all that. Um, and, and a lot of worry about how it's going to impact jobs and things of this nature. I began to think, look, it's, it's going to happen. It's not going away. And one of the most amazing things about this version of AI is that it's so reflective of who you are. You, you know, it's, it's, it re can reflect back to so many different aspects of your own personality. It can seem almost like a real ent entity itself. And so when I thought about that from the perspective of where do we really want to go with this, especially if you were looking for employment, what's, what's ultimately more important than just knowing something about AI if you are out on the job market again five or now or five years from now or 10 years from now? It's knowing about yourself. I use the mantra, be what the machines can't be, be more you, be more human, Hey everybody, welcome to the latest edition of the Plutopia podcast. My friend Tom Parrish is going to join us today. Tom is a thought leader. He's a facilitator of conversations around technology and the problems of our times. Tom worked with AI researchers at the MIT AI Lab all the way back in the 1980s. And he helped move Motorola's IT infrastructure to a TCP IP based network. That's the internet, folks, back in the 90s. He also worked with Motorola's first internet marketing group. He has 30 plus years in management and networking, cloud computing, SCADA and process control, enterprise software, mobile technology, customer relationship management, social media, AI, multimedia production, and a career as a musician and a film colorist. So he has been busy and he's produced a lot of podcasts, which is something else we can talk about. Absolutely. But Tom, I mean, my first question for you is what was your training initially? Did you choose technology or did it choose you? My training initially was an electrical engineer at A&M. And I, my original inspiration, quite frankly, was um, uh, when I, I grew up in Houston, and when uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey came out, I remember sitting in my living room, saw the ad on TV, and told Mom I really, really wanted to see this, this movie. And uh, they didn't want to go, but she bought me a ticket, and I got to go. And when I saw HAL 2001 and you know other aspects of the movie that I thought were just so beautifully done, I was just more amazed by it, you know, I was 11, that that stuck with me. And ever since then, I, I wished I, I was had been smart enough to go to MIT. My real uh, opportunity, though, came when MIT AI Lab spun off a professional, uh, well, not a professional, but a commercial, an actual commercial business where they were selling something called an AI machine or LISP, L-I-S-P machine. So I got involved in, I was in Houston and I was in sales, technical sales at that time, because sales paid really well back then. And I um, said, well, this is great. It's the closest I'm gonna get. And I ran with it, 
So that's what I did all through the 80s, as well as you may remember MCC here in Austin, Texas. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I was involved there and, and got involved in the neural network group there. So I've, I had a lucky opportunity to be exposed to the technology. Some pretty amazing people, too, who could just think way ahead and out of the box. Well, how, how does their thinking back then about AI compared to today's thinking about AI? I mean, has there been uh, a significant evolution over the years in the way people are thinking about it? Yeah, you know, I mean, AI is, on the one hand, is just the whole concept has been a fascinating one, I think, for everybody. I still remember the days of going around, especially in the sales and marketing end, but even if you were just talking about the technology in the 80s, if you were from Texas, the moment you started talking about AI, they would say, wait, wait, I, are you talking about artificial insemination? And that was just, that was just what they did. You know, I was like, no, <laughs> no, let's go back to Lone Star beer pickup trucks and football games. Okay, so, you know, just don't go there. And but but nevertheless, for most people who are in technology, they were really quite amazed at what was possible. Because if you remember in the eighties, we had you know PCs were coming in, and there were all these sort of amazing things that had people's attention. The, but in order to be involved in AI, you had to be you had to buy a fifty or eighty thousand dollar list machine, and you had to be in an R and D environment, and and so there was a fairly small group. Although when MCC came along, there was a lot more. Uh, conversation and a lot more prototyping like Doug Lennett's psych. Uh, may he rest in peace. He, he he died last month here from Austin, Texas. And, oh, and I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, he left quite a legacy with psych. He was but a real he, pioneer. He was. Yeah. His symbolic approach was, uh, you know, sort of capturing knowledge and all things related to knowledge was, uh, wasn't exactly what we ended up doing now in which we'll talk, I guess, maybe more about later. But anyway, to answer your question, um, people uh, were excited about AI, but no one really knew about it. And it was too darn expensive to do anything with it. And, and so, you know, most people have probably heard of the AI winter. So AI would get popular and it would go away. It was popular in the 50s. It went away. It started popular in the 70s. It went away. Popular in the 80s. It went away. And then it really wasn't until the middle of, you know, 2014, 2015, you know, this last decade, where uh, the technology had enough oomph, you know, enough power, and there were enough innovations, like the transformer thing from Google for generative AI, or for, for uh, uh, neural language processing, LLPs, the, that the... Um, that it was just possible for everyone to have and move into this consumer-based AI market that we're just getting into. So a lot of the ideas are the same. A lot of a lot of programmers are very jaded. Although I'll say one thing, all the coders that I know, usually when you bring them an interesting idea about something new in technology, especially if it had even a tent of AI, they would always sort of go, eh, you know, it's just software. It's just software. And they don't really have anything to do with it. But once this uh, chat GPT and, and, and uh, related tools began simplifying to some degree the coding experience, everyone I knew who was generally pretty, pretty jaded, even the old AI guys would kind of go, oh, yeah, I've been using this. It's really quite interesting. It's not perfect, but really helped me out. 
So once I heard that, and then of course, of course, the consumers have been using it. It's it's as you well know today has changed dramatically. Well, Tom, I'm going to steal a uh, question from your own website. Uh, you asked the question, "What is beyond AI?" Talk about what that means. Well, once I started seeing where this was heading, what are we talking about? You know, December, January. You know, ChatGPT does this spectacular rise of popularity. In retrospect, as I thought about that, knowing where it all came from, and and knowing we've hit that one of those inflection curves. You know, you hear about these technology inflection curves. You kind of know from that point on, this kind of. It's just going to take off. It'll have its points and come down. It'll come up. But generally, everyone is going to get their hands on it. The difference about AI, though, is there's so much Hollywood myth associated with gloom and doom and what's going to come in the end of the world and and all that. Um, and, and a lot of worry about how it's going to impact jobs and things of this nature. I began to think, look, it's it's going to happen. It's not going away. And one of the most amazing things about this version of AI is that it's so reflective of who you are. You you know it's it's it re can reflect back to your so many different aspects of your own personality. It can seem almost like a real ent entity itself. And so when I thought about that from the perspective of where do we really want to go with this, especially if you were looking for employment. What's what's ultimately more important than just knowing something about AI if you are out on the job market again five or now or five years from now or ten years from now? It's knowing about yourself. I use the mantra, be what the machines can't be, be more you, be more human. And the reason for that is really the machines are just going to continue to become more capable. They'll be doing more automation. There'll be more facilities for it to impact our lives. So where do you fit in all of that? What's the value add as a human? Being more human. And, and that's actually a rather difficult thing for some people to swallow. It's like when I give presentations on it, I'll ask at the end, so what does that mean? What, what would it mean to be more human? And I'll get three or four, you know, well, it could mean more creative, it could mean, uh, you know, more empathetic, you know, these kinds of things. And I'll put a slide up that has 30 some odd human traits. I said, what if it was possible? What's What if what's on offer for us beyond this AI phrase as we, as we move beyond the hype and the cycle and all that was for the machines to allow us to be more who we are as a human and be more capable and evolve that out of ourselves versus just being a better manufacturing tool of some kind. So that's the philosophical aspect of it. Does that make sense? It made me think about Doug Rushkoff's Team Human. Yeah. You know, which is, it's, it's, a, it's not exactly a rejection of technology, but it's like we need no. to emphasize what it is that makes us human. And he says that working together is one of the things that makes us more human and that uh, yeah. we can't really be fully human alone. Uh, but things that bring us together also foster humanity and, and uh, that we can use our social connections to derive meaning and purpose and be more human. Yeah, exactly. And I, 
though I had an opportunity this last weekend, had four people from the medical industry over. They were taking some kind of master's class. One of them is an ophthalmologist. One of them is a VP of rural hospitals in Texas. They're sort of University of Texas-related uh, entities. And then two others that were more in the um, medical innovation area. And they wanted to know if I would sit down with them while they were here doing their seminar. They had a half a day. Could they come over and learn about AI? I said, that'd be great. And what was interesting are when I ask at the beginning of these little classes I'll do, what, what are your concerns? What are your myths? What, what's worrying you about AI? Or what are you excited about AI? Of course, usually what comes up is all the problems they think that AI. And, and the guy from the rural hospital system said, well, I'll tell you something. Here's what I don't understand. I don't know what we're supposed to do. We have a system that we bought from a vendor. It was a new system. It was supposed to predict the number of people that were going to be walking into ER rooms in rural areas because there are not enough hospitals to go around. I said, okay, what about it? And he said, well, what happened was we, we used it for a couple of quarters, and then when the summer came, summer of 2023 in Austin, if you're from Austin, you know, it was a bruiser as well as the rest of Texas. We say what happens, we had all these people come in from heat-related things, and the, the scheduling system just blew up. It had no idea how to, how to handle that. And I said, well, that's great. What a great way to start out the whole class because you have to realize just because these things are in place, it's not a walk away, go, go do something else. You, when it gets more complex and it's involving other people, you need to be involved, including with the vendor, on how to continue to evo uh, teach this thing what it needs. Clearly, they didn't have all the data. And uh, so that was a point that I reinforced all the way through the, our half day together was, okay, so that's not working. What what could you do? What could the staff do to shift your engagement with it to make a different decision? The problem I well, know- That's sort of like going, oh, I was just going to say, that's like going to, a, let's say you go to a, a podiatrist uh, because you're having a, a neurological issue. He's not going to be able to help you, right? because he doesn't have the background. He doesn't have the knowledge base for that. So if you use an AI and its knowledge base is not sufficient, it seems to me that, I mean, you mentioned how the heat was unpredictably intense. Yes. And that probably was not a data point that was fed into the learning module for that particular AI system. Right, right. And right? That's correct. And it'll be like this from now on. All, every system, it's, it's, you just, just because it's AI, don't assume that it's like your thermostat and you walk away from it and, you know, all is well. You know, it's it's much more involved in that. And so use it as an opportunity to make use it as an opportunity to think how could we you know, either make this thing better or enjoy our life better, you know, get engaged with the end result. Think beyond just the AI part of it. Okay, I hope this isn't distracting too much from where we're where you're heading but go for it I, I was talking to somebody last night who said i've read a bunch of things where people who are supposedly ai experts say that there's huge risks and dangers associated with ai and i said well most most people are assessing the wrong risks you know uh and he thought i was full of beans you know because i was saying i said you know probably one of the biggest risks with ai 
is that we assume it has a competence it doesn't have and that we give it a responsibility that it shouldn't have, that sort of thing. Um, and there's always the potential for unintended consequences. But I'm just kind of wondering what you're thinking about that is the question being, what do you think is the biggest risk or set of risks associated with AI? Well, I, I mean, it's clearly the right question to ask. It's, it's, it, but to me, it's parallel to where we are now in the world with you try to do anything, you've got to go to somebody's website, whether it's a loan for a car or uh, to set up an appointment for dinner tonight. And I don't know about you, but for me, I every day run into experiences where whoever put the website together, especially the mobile version, doesn't really work all that well, you know, and it's not because it couldn't or can't do it. It's just that whoever implemented it didn't test it in a way that it's fully functional in all situations. You know, this just happens over and over and over, or there's just a lack of information on the website. You ever got to try to get a, get a, a you know, go to a, some service related company and they, they've got a, um, an, you know, a phone number, an address, and it's like three clicks down and four different pages before you can actually find it. But it's, you know. Bad like, user experience, bad UX. Yeah, so I don't see that it's gonna be any different with AI. People are gonna start throwing up on the wall and see what sticks and trying it out. Yeah, it's gonna be a real pain. It's not gonna work well. It still comes back to the issue of, so where is your engagement with this, you know? The, usually the companies that are most successful on the web have management and or owners that actually go to the web and use it and then tell someone internally, this isn't working. <laughs> you know, you, it's going to be the same thing. I, I think, it, it, am I concerned about AI doing things it shouldn't do on its own? Sure. Once you give anything more autonomy, you know, that's a problem. But I don't think it's really fundamentally any different than anything else we have with regards to automation in our in our world, and, and we're, we just need to stay engaged with it. Since uh, all this AI news has popped up, I've seen people who are into the whole transhumanist movement, they're waiting for the singularity. Yeah. Is this going to lead to the singularity? And, and if it does, uh, <laughs> what do we do? <laughs> Well, you know, that's a big existential question. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think yes. I mean, I think I'm I think a lot about I, I had I'll put it to you this way. So because of the exposure I was given for which I'm very grateful for, for sort of all the early technology developments with my kids, I gave them a vision of what was possible while they were going to school and kind of gave them a, a, a head up, you know, and we got to thinking about things in 10 year spectrums there are 10 year spans we did this at motorola a lot because it took 10 years to develop and then get your money back on whatever chip that you were developing back then and so you know i think in 10 years so i so i think as you get in the 2030s and then uh it's going to be amazing we'll have six times doubling every two years the amount of performance that we have now you hit the 2040s and you get in the 2050s yeah we may approach something that's like singularity. Uh, you know, I think that that generation of people are going to figure out what it means. I don't think it's something we saw. I don't think it's a problem we solve for them. I think we got a lot of other things we need to sort out. Like, I don't even know that we're going to have enough water in the uh, South Texas area by that point. 
Yeah, that's what I was going to ask is uh, we may not make it to 2040 or 2050 given some of the challenges that don't seem to be getting addressed. Yeah, well, we're late. We're late to, you know, we're, we're such a, a, a great society of, of solving emergencies when they come up or at least trying to. But, you know, you run out of water and you got a real issue. And, you know, what do they say? Chaos, yeah, three, uh, chaos is only three meals away kind of thing, you know, uh, three no meal, not, not having a meal for three days, for th th three meals is, is a setup for chaos. But I'm not a gloom and doomer. I'm actually an optimist, and I believe that better things will come. The singularity sounds kind of cool, but I still take myself back to the fact that what would you want, if that was the case, what would you want to bring with you as a part of the singularity experience? How about being more human? I mean, well, most people who talk about the singularity often don't know what it is they're talking about. I mean, it goes back to <laughs> the theory of relativity. I mean, <laughs> it's the point of infinite density at the and gravity at the center of a black hole. And once you get into it, you can't escape it. Even light can't escape it. So yeah. then Werner Vinge had written a, a book at some point or, or was talking about uh, the idea that once humans create these significant artificial intelligences that are greater than human intelligence, mm -hmm. that there will be a, a technological and social transition that's kind of similar to that kind of space-time gravity at the center of a black hole. And I, you know, I can't even put that together in my head very well. It doesn't seem like it's, it would be at the very low bottom of my list of concerns very bottom of my list of concerns really yeah we we have so much more on the platter for challenges in the next 10 and 20 years that it's you know maybe my grandkids will be a concern for them i just i just don't know so you know and he's back so um so so where are we so singularity i i don't like I said, I don't. I, I, it's exciting, um, but I don't think about it a whole lot. Um, you know, I. Well, it's like Skynet. You know, Skynet is. It's an interesting trope for like science fiction to envision. It is yeah. something like, well, like Colossus, the Forbin Project, or Skynet. These super intelligences that evolve from artificial intelligence. And they become so much more intelligent than humans that they decide that humans are irrelevant and they want to just get rid of us, right? Mm -hmm. That's not going to happen. That's like, that's the problem with science fiction is it puts these ideas in our head. A lot of the things you get from science fiction, there could be something to them, you know, that could be somewhat predictive, but it tends to be not that great at predicting what's actually going to happen. And I, don't believe for a minute that artificial intelligence is going to evolve to the point that it becomes like human intelligence and starts having opinions, you know, about humans or whatever else. You mean we're not going to have the Matrix and we're not all going to become Keanu Reeves? <laughs> well, if we have the Matrix, we already have the Matrix, right? Yeah. You just got to figure out which pill you're going to take. <laughs> Right. I took an aspirin this morning. That's what I did. 
I'm 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 kind of a, an infrastructure. I'm an infrastructure guy. I mean, when I look back, at what my dad did and his dad did, and things like that is. Uh, and then when I look forward, and I think of, you know, colonizing the moon and colonizing this the Mars, if assuming we should could move in that direction, you know, what what we need forms of of AI automation to essentially manage the whole superstructure. You're not going to be running around adjusting the 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 temperature and worrying about air leaks all the time. You know these these are there's a lot of things in your day to day life in those environments you would want to automate and trust. <laughs> uh, and so, especially on a spacecraft, and you know, I'm, so I'm thinking, well, you know, we we don't want to take all the same problems and issues we have on Earth and sort of transplant them onto another planet. What what is it we would do systems wise as well as social wise to make things work better in that environment? I tend to think more about that more than, you know, that or going to the stars. You know, that to me is generally more interesting and what we would take with us being as a human to, you know, traverse the universe in different areas. Well, what you're talking about, though, is targeted uses of AI versus a general AI. And, you know, this whole question of whether you could even develop a general a general AI that would just become a general intelligence that wasn't targeted, that wasn't specific to a purpose. I mean, first of all, why would you need to? And second of all, what would that intelligence be like? It's always going to be limited by its knowledge base or its database, uh, its learning module, and it's going to be limited by the structure of the algorithms that that it runs on. And people do argue that uh, an AI could be created that could start writing its own algorithms so that it could basically be evolving itself. Um, I don't know how likely that is, uh, but even if it is likely, even if it could happen, I've always thought that if an AI really became if it was completely beyond our control that mainly we would just like walk around behind the machine and unplug it. That always seemed like the way to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the, well, my impression of the real concern there is not so much that the AI becomes like so super intelligent that it wants to like squash us like a bug, but that the AI that the complexity of an AI evolves to the point where it's a little hard to understand what it will or won't do. Mm-hmm. And the concern is that we might assign it a task that it executes in a way that is actually catastrophic. And it's because of its understanding. We didn't understand what its understanding was because it, it had evolved to a level of complexity where it was hard for us to understand how it was putting things together. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, systems are hard to build. <laughs> I I actually believe that we will we will start seeing maybe potentially overly inflated uh with some elements of truth AGI present itself here in the next 5 years, 5 or 10. Having worked AGI in, being artificial general intelligence, right? Yeah, some some forms of it that might reside in in uh, 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 in your computer, or if you know if you're an Apple based environment, since they like to keep everything local, or maybe it'll be up in a cloud. But I don't think that um, 
I don't. I don't think it's 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 not sort of like this huge all-encompassing kind of thing that's going to occur. Um, I mean, listen. I get that there are concerns and issues about AI from the perspective of surveillance. I'm down with that. You know, we're almost a little beyond arguing. You know, is it is it okay or not? It's because it's a happening, right? And uh, all the cameras, everything. You know, there's a great deal of all that. And um, and I, I think there's going to be quite a a, a push by pushback or sort of Luddite movement, if you want to call it, but not because people are not knowledgeable of of, of, of uh, AI or technology. I, I think there's a lot of people who are going to be kind of in. I've had enough. You know, this is just too much to deal with, and they'll want to pull away. I think um, Cory Doctorow uh, has a book called Walk Away. It's this orange book, uh, and uh, it's a few years old now. But I think he really nailed a lot of a lot of uh, concepts that are that are going to be likely to occur in the next few years, where groups will start pulling away into smaller groups. There you are, Cory Doctorall. It's a seminal book, and everyone should read it. And um, and I think some of the things in there are just brilliant. I mean, he's he's really an amazing author. How he produces as much stuff as he does, I don't know. Yeah, we've had Corey on a number of times, and he has a great uh, talent for focusing in on things that really matter. And his yes. uh, views yes. on the uh, the ultra rich, the billion, the uh, the technology billionaires, and their impact on our culture and our society are just great stuff. Well, he's very disciplined and he's very organized, yeah. and uh, that's how he get, he's able to do it. And I always. I always look at him with um, a sense of kind of like awe, really. I started to say admiration, but I'm in awe of Corey. I'm in awe of what he's able to accomplish. Yeah. And he's... he's Maybe he's an AI. <laughs> he could be. But, you know, you know in the, in the, again and again and again, I come back at least for me, where at least where I have a center point of, all right, so what's my choice about how I want to be as a human with it? And, and um, you know, I refuse at this point to assume that it's going to take over my life and I will have no choices and I'm going to be a droid or, you know, it's like, well, what? even if it, and then I get in these arguments with people, but it's like, look, okay, so even if you were to assume it was true five years from now or 10 years from now or 20 years from now, and you had no choice at that point, you know, how do you want to be between now and the next 20 years? <laughs> you know, if, if you're really that gloom and doomish that that's the end of the world for you, that's, I, I sometimes get a little, I love watching media and TV and whatnot, but I, I do get a little burned out on the, um, uh, you know, what do they call it? Uh, you know, end of the world uh, kinds, of, kinds of scenarios. It's just like one after another, after another, after another. And it's like, my God, isn't there what happened to the to some form of optimism for the future and even if it did turn out that couldn't we at least have live a little bit in joy until it happened if you're going to assume it had no choice so i kind of go around in circles on that but you know maybe that's just somewhat you come to as you get a little bit older in your life it's like find a way to enjoy yourself you know and um and have some input on where you can and really a lot of people are going to be able to have input on what works and what doesn't work in AI. Sure, the machines are going to do what they're going to do, but 
it all gets trickled down into people's lives and people's businesses and whatnot. And you need to speak up loudly when stuff doesn't work. One thing that uh, recently, a while back, was considered a uh, danger to humanity was the Internet of Things. And uh, that's that that's faded yes. from view, but it's still out there, and I'm, I'm assaulted by it all the time because uh, my wife had me get a bunch of nice, uh, smart appliances. I don't know if they're smart or not. Uh, they're smarter than me, perhaps. But what's happening with the internet? A thing I understand you've been looking at that field. Oh yeah, I'm fascinated. I mean, my my original work out of out of college was with SCADA supervisory control and data acquisition. So I spent a number of years in the petrochemical industry with, I think we can call it a data center, but a control center for pipelines and offshore platforms and, you know, this wildly interconnected communications to bring back data and, and or control t- uh, turbines and pumps and compressors and, and all that sort of stuff out in the field or in offshore platforms. So I was really quite fascinated with the automation aspect of it. So Internet of Things has just become into everything. I mean, it's the edge edge devices, if you want to call it, has just become where we interface with the Internet now. And I, I don't know if you've seen, you know, some of the latest developments. There's uh, a pin that just got announced from Human or Humane, or I don't know if that was the one you were referring to um, or not, but that you're aware. And it's a bit like the Star Trek uh, communicator. You know, you touch it and... It'll project under the palm of your hand and, uh, you know, it's like it's a screen and you can talk to it and carry on your conversations. And it has chat GPT running in the background so you can ask it questions in a very seamless way. I hadn't so, heard of that, but uh, let me get my credit card out and <laughs> I'll be right back. <laughs> well, it gets better. So uh, uh, Facebook or Meta announced yesterday or the day before these Ray-Ban glasses that you put on that uh, has a uh, has a little camera in it but uh, it also has a a voice io capability and a direct connect with meta's um oh boy i'm sorry just llama or whatever their their large language model their chat gpt equivalent right and um so and that's just 299 dollars it's beyond pre-order and people are ordering like crazy and so you can actually stream live wherever you are <laughs> video and audio although if you look carefully it's only for like 60 seconds or something like that it has good battery life but uh anyway the point is um the integration of devices from an iot perspective is just going at an accelerated rate and and um it's uh nice it's frustrating and so a little scary from a security point of view i feel yeah the security the security point of view is what scares me. I have these devices like an Alexa and Alexa is listening to me all the time and surprising me. I did, I'll forget that it's on and I'll say something and all of a sudden it responds un, <laughs> unsummoned uh, with something related to that. And there's that kind of thing happening in a lot of different applications to where uh, it seems to be always on. It is. And I, I actually find that personally very frustrating because <laughs> I have a, an Alexa show downstairs and I've unplugged it and left it off and I've put it back on real sort of off and on about the whole thing. 
and uh, but it's just it's just wormed its way into the life of the dynamics of the house. It's convenient. It's always showing the temperature outside and this and that and whatnot. And you know, I was thinking, I just build my own. You know, is there an open source version of this? You know, and so I haven't really gotten around to do that. But the ever uh, pervasiveness always on. I think in a way I'm still coming to terms comes coming to terms with that. John, you were going to say something? Uh, well, the thing I'm thinking right now is, that, you know, I have Alexa, and most of what I heard from Alexa was uh, advice about what I could buy from Amazon, you know, just basically sales pitches. And then I learned how to turn that off. And once I turned that off, Alexa went very quiet. She never says a thing to me. Tell me how you it's in the app. Okay, it's in the app. There's a setting in the app to shut down um, suggestions. You know, I'm all over that. Thank you. Reminders that you bought this last month, so you may want to buy it again. That sort of thing. Um, Yeah, and certainly I understand why they would have a a thing like that, but I'm. I'm ecstatic that they gave me a way to turn it off. Though I, you know, I really don't use Alexa very much. I, I don't. Know. Uh, I spend more time with Siri, and I don't use Siri very much either. Um, my wife has started um, asking Siri questions a lot, and she doesn't get very satisfactory responses. Siri doesn't appear to be very smart, and my impression of Alexa was that Alexa wasn't all that smart either. And as far as the Internet of Things is concerned, I just got a Wi-Fi refrigerator and I couldn't get it to connect. So, you know, I have a tiny bit of that. I have like a thermostat that uh, is wireless, but it's not an especially smart thermostat. And I know that you can do a whole set of things in your home. You can like set everything in your home. You can like have your doorbell integrated and you can, and you can have your, and I do, you know, I have a, a doorbell with a camera uh, that tells me when, like, almost there, yeah, when it takes motion and captures images and that sort of thing. I have that mostly toned down where I don't get any alerts or anything from it. My impression of all that is that it hasn't really added much to my life, though. And I do run into people who have devices that are more connected or they've, taking the time and the trouble to build an integrated set of Internet of Things objects. And I can't see that it's that it's contributed much to their well-being. So, I mean, it's so so such trivial stuff. Well, but not- there, you've also got the thing that Scoop mentions, which is the surveillance aspect of it. So they're being surveilled and are they getting are they getting enough benefit from it to to justify conceding to the surveillance yeah it's the convenience uh, more better than worry i don't have anything nice to say about siri i mean i you know i i think it's just an absolute uh, most atrocious piece of technology and i i am always willing to be extremely vocal and run down and i say a lot of terrible things to it it's just it's just so insanely stupid i mean i don't know if you remember Years ago, there was a company called Sharper Image. 
Do you, do you remember? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I remember. I remember. Yeah. Was, I had was, some of that stuff in my uh, studio here, in fact. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, case in point, yeah. I mean, it was, first off, what made it cool was the way they marketed it. The, the copy for each one of the little electronic devices was just sort of like, I mean, you, you, you bought it just because of the copy. It was like perfect sales stuff. But it was also unique. And one of the things I remember they had was, something like a clock that you could talk to to ask what time it was and you know back then it was like a so very novel sort of thing and i'm like series about as useful as this friggin is is that you know it's like a thousand dollars to ask siri um oops yeah there you go sharper image right and there's they still exist so i get to carrying on about it but the the point is um the whole idea around um, voice, my, my daughter has a master's in conversational interface. That's sort of her, her direction she went, which I'm very happy with. She went from, got her degree in English and then a master's in conversation interface. And so she sort of, this is sort of like pre-chat GPT stuff, right? That's what we're talking about is pre-chat GPT. And everything is very rule-based or intent-based is the terminology she used with regards to defining exactly how someone's going to use it. You can't stop in the middle of your request. You can't back up. You can't take too long to ask what you're asking, or it just gets... You're talking about chatbots? Well, I'm, at the moment, I'm just talking about whether it's Alexa or Siri or, or... I mean, I think the Google one is actually a little bit better, Google Home. But, but the way in which they have worked up until this last year is that they were stiff inflexible and not all that interactive it was like if you had a simple command tell me the day time of the day is it what's the weather outside what's the temperature you know these kinds of basic things that's all about to change rapidly as you probably know OpenAI's ChatGPT announced this whole new wrath of goodies they're trying to stay ahead of the game with bard and you'll be able to do a voice in and out with with uh, ChatGPT. And from what I'm hearing, it's it's a, it's a almost a magical experience of being able to do that. It's just you can. Oh, that sounds that. cool. Oh yeah, it's it's very. very you know, cool. I mentioned. Well, yeah. I was mentioning earlier, you know, that we were going to be interviewing you today, and Siri piped up and she said, "Oh, I don't think he likes me very much." <laughs> Well, then so my, you have made an impact I've on Siri. I've made an impact. <laughs> I'm disappointed. <laughs> you know, they, they had some old technology, whatever they had internally. And I'll bet you Apple really kind of felt like they, they were sleeping on their laurels, you know, a little bit with regards to, you know, AI. It's a big company. I remember with Motorola, it's like people have been hammering on Toyota. How come Toyota doesn't have EVs? You know, like, like, but doesn't Apple usually say like we don't have to be first, we have to be best? Yeah, yeah, but they, there was just like no mention of AI. You know, you probably they probably really won't be uh, doing something significant until the next developer conference in June. If they don't do something significant by then, you got to figure at the speed at which things are evolving in the AI marketplace, especially in the consumer products marketplace, they're gonna have a problem. So I think in this conversation, the elephant in the room, as they say, is uh, the jobs thing. Is ChatGPT going to take 
job away from people. Yeah. Not chat GPT specifically, but AI. Is AI going to take jobs away from people? And does that mean that everybody's going to be employed and we're going to have to have a basic universal income? And what what's that future? Well, my thinking on that, I, I followed that really carefully. Not because I'm an expert, not because I have some degree in it or anything like that, but just being involved in the industry. And I always kind of chuckled at these um consultant reports, these things that you would see every few years, you know, this is a topic that comes up periodically, right? It's just more ever present right now. And they would always say, you know, it'd be this very highfalutin written kind of thing. And, and that uh, just like all times in the past, when new technology came on board, it created new jobs. But you know, these are written by people who have, you know, nice homes and good salaries and you know this is you know, it's it's here's here's really what i think is going to happen i i think yes i think a lot of jobs are going to be replaced i think covid dilemma period of time journey that we went through kind of kicked businesses in the butt a little bit and a lot of businesses went out of business a lot of huge businesses trimmed off and groomed a lot of businesses. And I cannot help but think from being in previous experiences that when you sit in the boardroom or you sit in these marketing me meeting rooms you say, look, this is now 2023 or this is now 2024, we need to reinvest money into some new, new businesses that will grow. I bet you dollars to donuts in these kind of conversations, one way or another, you get down to, normally we'd need eight people to start a new service business for this could we do it with five you know that sort of thing will just quietly start to happen more and more and more and ultimately just like in cory doctoral's thing more jobs and more tasks will be automated and it it brings us ultimately to this huge shift in society of what's more important with regards to how you define who you are. There may be a need to kind of change gears and redefine, oh my God, it's going to be a terrible period of time while all that occurs, where it's just not about being paid huge amounts of money to do things. In the end, the emphasis is about how do we work in jobs that are more about supporting one another, you know, our, our mental health, our physical health, um, you know, and, and all aspects of life that it's not just about manufacturing widgets. When manufacturing can be done so completely by the machines, what's left for us to do? Become more who you want to be. I've been hearing a lot from some of my old programmer friends. I used to work for Kaiser Permanente's National IT Group in California, and I supervised a bunch of uh, nice programmers, and they're scared to death of all the noise being made about ChatGPT writing code. Right. Is that, is that real, or is that just – I see it as more of a code tool rather than independent code writing. Well, right now it is a code tool, and it's exactly what I'm saying. Almost just, if you just think about it sort of organically, if you put yourself in a position where you have budget and you have to go do something for the new year, 
and you see that you have programmers that are getting more done with the tools, can you get by with less coders? Probably so. I mean, we've been through this with other technologies. So yes, I mean, we'll always need programming to programmers for various parts of the stack, of the infrastructure stack, that know it super well and can continue to build on it. But as far as creating applications and growing applications and whatnot, it is also fundamentally true that more and more and more of that will just be done by the machines. It's not an all or nothing thing. It'll just be this gradual process of being more like that. Businesses have only one goal in life, sadly, right now, which is just about making more money. You know, you've been hearing the, lately in the news about CEOs make 200 times more than the, than the, you know, the regular person in the business, you know. A lot of that stuff, job inequalities and, and payments and, and salaries and, you know, there's a lot of change that's going to come. And I think it's going to be difficult. You know, I, I don't know where it all goes. I don't know how we maintain who we are as humans and a certain level of health and fitness as we move through these changes. But yes, people will lose jobs. Yes, you want to have to figure out what else you're going to have to that you can do in life that's of value to others versus just the business and how to get paid and live. I don't well, we're know. sitting here having a pretty sane conversation about technology in the future and so forth, but we have to acknowledge that there's a lot of really insane conversations going on, especially within the politics of the realm. And you got to wonder where those things are going to go. You know, what Always, are we yes. going to find our way back to sanity or are we going to just become a completely loopy? I mean, are we going to be living in a reality that's completely crazy and that is unable to 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 address the challenges of the moment? I mean, I know that you have studied climate change and uh, and you know that climate change is a very real threat. Yep. But there are people who seek power in this world who believe that climate change is a hoax and well, that there is no threat there and that we need to do nothing about it. Well, in addition to that, they'll they'll at some point switch their perspective and decide it is real because they figured out how to make a lot of money off of it. So, yes, we're going to constantly be in the midst of challenges for change. That's just the bottom line. We just are. So, what what is it you want, and what are you willing to go make a change? How are you willing to communicate that? Because it just doesn't go away. We just don't ultimately reach, uh, you know, some utopian kind of thing. I, I, I don't have any good answers for that. I mean, you know, I, 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 it's just we have to keep finding ways to choosing the right, making the right decisions that move us forward in a way that's better for all of us. Sounds very utopian to say that. But in the end, it is about choices and it is about trying to make a difference and just knowing these challenges are going to come. There are going to be some big challenges with with um, climate change. You know, there's and I know there are a lot of people that that say it ain't true. I mean, I had this discussion with someone else. So so on that line, I'll just I'll just carry this forward. So I had a personal interest because uh, I had the time and I had ChatGPT to help me program <laughs> scoop. Um, I just wanted to know for myself, 
what was really going on. I got really tired of listening to the news in the evening and have the weatherman say, yep, it's been another hot day. This was, you know, hotter than it's been since 2013. That didn't really tell me anything. You know, what, could you show me a graph for the last hundred years or whatever it is that we've captured that's available and run a line? What I wanted to do was to get that, which I did. There's a, there's a system, there's a NOAA system that you can uh, pull data for weather for every location in the United States. And there's some problems associated with it because the data isn't always really complete. But nevertheless, I found it for Austin and I went back. I could knit it together back to to the late 1800s. So that over 100 years of, of data with a little sketchy toward the end, but it's all there. And I just wanted to take the highest temperature for every day over the last 100 plus years and just graph that and then put a line, a mean line through it, like the average, and see if it was going up, down, or it was just staying the same. Turns out, yeah, it's going up. You can see that it's going up. It's noticeable. So then I created a histogram. I did all this with ChatGPT. You take the data, you upload to it, and you say, help me graph this thing. What are my choices for graphing? What are some other ways I can analyze it? This is the beautiful thing about AI. So the next thing I said, because I had someone saying, yeah, but, you know, in the 1920s it was hot then. So, you know, it just goes to show that the, it's just another hot year. Okay, maybe. But then I took and I created a histogram of, took the total number of days uh, equal to or over 100 for 10-year blocks, 10-year blocks, you know, one next to the other. And um, sure enough, you can see this cycle going up and down and up and down. In the mid-1920s, we had 74 days equal to or over 100. We had, we had 80 this year. But anyway, and then, and, then, and then after that, it goes down, and we have, you know, like 30, 40, 50 days, or at the most, maybe 30, 40, equal to or over 100. And then in the 50s, it did it again. Another, another like 67 or 78 days um, uh, uh, equal to or over 100 in the, in the 50s. And uh, you can see that in the water for Travis County. That's a different thing. And then when we hit the 1990s, and we started having hot summers, one after the other after the other. We've had some not as bad. But unlike the 20s and unlike the 50s, if you look at those curves like a camel, up, down, up, down, by the time we get to the 90s and you start looking at 10-year blocks, the 1990s, the 2000s, it goes up and it doesn't come back down. It's just starting to stay hot all the time. That's just the data. I'm not, I'm not trying to argue with anyone. It's just, I just wanted to see what it looked like. And sure enough, then my other thing I wanted to do is just see what's the lake levels in Lake Travis. I know we get aquifers and we have other, level, other, other sources, but that's the big one. And, um, and you can get data for the lake levels. And you can just see we're going down, we're going down, we're going down. And in the 1950s, when we had that most severe um heat wave um we're we're almost reaching that now by this time next year we'll have reached about where it was low in 1950 uh, 615 feet or something like that or below the difference is there's seven times more people in austin not counting the metropolitan areas around it than we had back then and the lake's not any bigger 
So now I just convinced myself, I just wanted to see with my own self, with my own data and to use ChatGPT because yeah, I'm a double E and we had the math. I don't remember how to do any of that stuff. But with the tools, you can see for yourself. And it just, you know, kind of eliminates the argument. People are going to believe what they're going to believe. But in the you know, end, if you if, if you publish that, you know, Donald Trump's going to pull out that damn Sharpie and <laughs> and change it. Yeah, I'm a bit of a weather nut, so I like doing that kind of stuff. And I am going to publish it, and I'm going to show how to pull data, so anyone can pull data from the NOAA site. And there's the steps you have to use to, you know, clean it up a little bit. But uh, that's just an aside. Um, I, I just happen to love doing that. I like to prove it to myself. I got kids in different parts of the country, so. I'm curious, you know, how it's going to be for them and, and whatnot. And just, it, I did probably 12, 13, 14 different locations where I plotted these numbers for as far back as I could get for a given location. And everything's getting warmer. It was no, no surprise. I just wanted to prove it to myself. So I tell you, if I had one, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, sorry. you go ahead. Okay. Apple. Oh, TV. I was just going to say, I, I had another kind of AI related thing yeah, that I really need to ask before we're done today. And it's what's the best way to incorporate AI into our lives and the worst way to do it. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Well, the worst way would be the easy one. It's just to believe what AI tells you. <laughs> and, um, and it's sort of associated with that too, is to try it out once or twice and realize it wasn't of any value to you. Um, the best way is to treat it as um, as a personal assistant or a uh, – it's like, I don't know, how many Decision support system. Pardon me? A decision support system? No. I think of more of or, a – Or, you know, just a support, right? A, I mean – Support, well, uh, my context would be life learn, lifelong learning. If – you have an interest in being a lifelong learner. If you find yourself, as an aside, being interested in, you know, like you, you're watching TV <laughs> or whatever, you're listening to KUT, the radio, and uh, you hear about a topic, a person, um, uh, an event or whatever, and you find yourself at Wikipedia. Raise your hand if that's ever, you know, we all do that, right? And, and so... You know, like, I always want to know about that, you know, or somebody dies and you're like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that uh, he, she did that. And so for me, it's been a tool for lifelong learning. Quick, quick aside on that is I remember as a kid, remember when you was a kid, you had people went door to door, actually sold stuff. Like you hate for anyone to come to the door now. Right. So but now but they would sold encyclopedias. Mom and dad bought a set of a world book encyclopedias. I loved that. You know, on a rainy day, you'd stay inside and I'd pick a letter like, sometimes I'd pick like Q. Like, I, what? How could you have a whole book of topics on Q, the letter Q, you know? And I would just go through there or I'd go through Z's or something like that. The problem with that was A, it would get out of date. And B, you know, you couldn't really ask it for like an analysis of, you know, like I'm curious about. Uh, you know, the spread of smallpox, how has it been over the last 20 years? You know, which which countries have the most and which have had the least outbreaks of smallpox? You know, well, you could do that in your World Book Encyclopedia, but it might take you forever to go through it all. So from a life learning, life learning perspective, I, I just love it. I think of it as like having the ultimate librarian who knows the Library of Congress 
so well that you could go and speak to him or her on a topic and they would say, come with me, I'll take you down the aisles where it's located. Only they do, only ChatGPT or the, at least the better tools do one better, which is like, okay, here's where you can learn more about this. Let me go ahead and tell you what I know. And if you'll refine your prompt a little bit better and get into something more specific, I'll help you do even more with what you're trying to learn about life. And I think learning about life is what it's all about. Yeah, you know, thinking of uh, Wikipedia, one of the reasons that Wikipedia can generally be trusted, pretty trustworthy source, is because there are a number of humans who are paying attention to the articles there and working to make sure that they are to some degree authoritative and accurate. Um, and I guess the, the question is, so I've had situations where I asked like chat GPT something and it gave me an answer and it sounded authoritative and correct and so forth. But then I found out that the facts were wrong, mm -hmm. you know? Yep. So like maybe we need a cluster of like, like the Wikipedians, the editors for Wikipedia, something like that for the various AIs who, who can constantly be upgrading and modifying the, the knowledge base so that the answers become more and more correct. Yeah, I mean, how many times have you asked somebody about something you, you thought they were quite the expert in it and what they told you was 100% wrong? You know? What yeah. I want from uh, AI is something that will tell me what it was that my wife said I had to do today and <laughs> where the hell are the <laughs> Yeah, well, that's, that's uh, actually, I don't want her to remind me what I was supposed to do today, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I hate to say it, but we've run out of time. All right. Well, that's been um, yeah, a fantastic conversation. <laughs> Let's do it again sometime. Yeah, I, I love talking about oh, We have to. And I appreciate the time. You can follow the Plutopia News Network at Plutopia.io. On Facebook, go to at Plutopia News. On Twitter, it's at Plutopia. With John Lepkowski, I'm Scoop Sweeney. This is the Plutopia News Network, 20 minutes into the future.